These days, it's easy to know what people are against and what they're for. In our new City First Church series, Jesus for the People, we'll be answering the questions, what is Jesus for and who is Jesus for? Here's the spoiler, the good news. Jesus is for you. And that changes everything. Hey, welcome City First Church. I want to take a moment and I want to welcome everyone in Southwest Florida at Cape Coral at our location there. Come on, let's give it up for Cape Coral. We love you guys so much. And we also want to say hello to everybody, a part of God Behind Bars. We love you guys. We are with you in the midst of this pandemic. We realize that this has been difficult, but you need to know we pray for you on a daily basis, and we love you. And as soon also as we can get back together, we will get back together. And then for everyone here at Spring Creek and the State Line location here in Rockford, come on, give yourselves a round of applause. We are so excited that you are here. And if you are joining us online, which the majority of you are, we want you to know that you are a part of the City First Church family. It is so great to have you with us here today. And we are not just a friendly church, but we are a what? Family church, that's right, and everyone is welcome. Come just the way that you are, and God loves you enough and loves me enough to not keep us the way that we are, but rather slowly and in a supernatural way that we become more and more and more like him. Now, we are in a series that we are calling Jesus for the people. We're in this election season, which I mean is a little crazy right now, right? This election season, and we are focusing on the perfect representative who is our advocate at all times. We are focusing on Jesus himself. And the whole reason we are talking about this is because God many times in our culture is painted as being against everything. But this series, I want to talk about how God is for many things. And I will say this, he is for you. You got to understand, no matter who you are, where you're at, where you're watching right now, whether you're in person or online, Jesus is for you. And we're excited about this series. In fact, let me give you a forecast for next week before I get into this week. Ryan Leak, our friend, is going to be here, and he's going to be speaking, uh, and it is going to be amazing. And, you know, he and I have already talked about his content and what he's talking about, and I want you to invite your friends to join you in person at one of our locations or online with you, okay? Have a watch party. It is going to be phenomenal. Well, there are many lessons in life that are learned on the playground in an elementary school. Now, I realize you're like, what? What do you mean by that? But, it, you know, you may not remember much about elementary school. I actually do not remember much about elementary school, but I vividly remember a few key life lessons that I learned at recess. In fact, I remember one day at recess when we were all playing on the jungle gym and Ann Eklund challenged me to have a hanging contest. 
What is a hanging contest? Well, that's where we were on the jungle gym and we, there's a crossbar and we would hang, you know, suspended in midair and the first person to let go lost. Now, I want to tell you, this was a boys against girls moment. The entire class rallied around us, guys and girls, and her and I hung there staring at each other with focused determination. And I will tell you, I was victorious. I won. And that day I learned an important lesson, and that is this, that boys rule and girls drool. So that's what I learned. Very powerful lesson. Another time at recess, we were taking bets on whether we could jump from one playground set and fly through the air and grab a crossbar. And you know, at that age when I was young, I mean, I remember this feeling like you're jumping across the Grand Canyon. It, I mean, it had to be like 10 feet from the platform of the playground set to the crossbar. It, in reality, it was probably only maybe three or four feet. But we all got in line. And one of my friends decided to go first. And, and so he got ready, and he's on the platform, and he runs, and he jumps and soars through the air, grabs the crossbar with both of his hands. But unfortunately, the momentum carried him where his feet swung out from underneath him. He let go of the bar, and he landed on his head. And he wasn't moving, I remember. And immediately, like, the teachers come running, and we're all horrified. Well, I learned a big lesson that day, a life lesson, and that is this. If something is super risky, let someone else go first. That's what I learned, all right? Now, I'll tell you this also. The biggest lesson I remember from the playground was the times that we would play kickball. There were two captains that were chosen, and those captains would alternate back and forth, picking us for their team. And if you remember these dreaded moments, because I think all of us have lived in the kickball moment, right? As you stood in a line and you were hoping that someone would choose you, that you weren't, what, the last person to be picked, right? Well, I was rarely picked first, and I was rarely picked last, but I learned a powerful lesson. And the lesson is this. People have opinions about your performance. People have opinions about your performance. And what's crazy about this lesson is that it's not just a playground thing. It continues in life, doesn't it? In fact, though you aren't necessarily lining up to play kickball, you line up for other things. Things like a job or a date or a position on the team, or a promotion. You line up for things and your hope is you get picked. And someone either picks you or they don't pick you. And it always feels great if you're picked. And it always feels really, really hard if you're overlooked. So no matter what age you are, people seem to have opinions about your talents, whether you have them or not your looks or the lack thereof, your performance or the lack thereof, your education or your qualifications. They have opinions and you get picked based upon those opinions. In fact, those opinions also have a way of forming a worldview of how you think about yourself. When you think about that, other people's opinions 
form the worldview on how you see yourself, your qualifications, your talents, your looks, your education, right? And sometimes, even when we grow up, we are asking ourselves these questions. Am I really valued? Am I wanted? Am I perceived as being successful? So today, I want to talk to all of us at City First about this. Jesus is for the unqualified. Jesus is for the unqualified. There's a story that's found in Matthew, and, and you know, a few weeks ago, I talked about where Jesus, after his resurrection, after he died on the cross and he rose again, that he met his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee as they went back to fishing, and he fixed them breakfast. For those of you that remember that story that I told a couple or a few weeks ago, I also said this, that that scenario, that story mirrored what happened three years previous when Jesus was introducing himself to his disciples and he was picking them also on the same shores of Galilee. So today, I want to talk about the previous story. I want to talk about before Jesus began his ministry, before he walked to a cross, I want to talk about that moment that Jesus is picking his team. It says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. There's a reason why Matthew is putting that in the text. Okay, remember that, okay? They fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once. So the verbiage here, the language here, is that it was very much a decision in the moment. Drop everything and follow Jesus. A little farther up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Now, there is this, this tone of when Jesus calls these men to be fishers of men, that all of a sudden, they just drop everything. They drop their careers, they kiss their dad goodbye, and they follow. There is a dropping of everything to follow Jesus. Jesus is picking his kickball team here. He's picking his team. And this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's going and getting his disciples. And the thing that we don't understand in 2020 is we don't understand the context of what's going on here because what Jesus did was completely unheard of in his day. You see, Jesus, like I talked about last week, was considered a rabbi. Now, allow me to take a, a brief moment and, and paint a broad brushstroke on what is going on here. In Jesus' day, the rabbis were the most esteemed, respected members of Jewish society. Rabbis were considered more important than any political figures, any business figures, anybody else in the Jewish society. They all were underneath a rabbi. A rabbi was held in high esteem. And rabbi, in fact, the word means great teacher, my master. 
So a rabbi was, was definitely at the top, you could say. And if you got to be on the rabbi's team, it would be like in modern day getting scholarship to play at a Division I school. I mean, this was a big deal. If you got picked to be on the rabbi's team, the entire village would talk about it. Like, like the parents would become super proud that their kid was able to be on the rabbi's team. And when Jewish children were being raised in Jesus' day, from the age of 6 to 10 years old, they were taught in the synagogue every single day math and history, geography, and the Torah. Now the Torah, these were the first five books of the Bible, what we now call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They were taught these things at a very young age. And then when these individuals, these kids turned 10 to 12 years old, at that point, the girls were finished with their education and they went back to help their moms with the house. But the boys would continue in the education if and only if they had completely memorized the first five books of the Bible. Memorized them verbatim. And if they were able to do that, they could continue in their education. And then at age 15, after they would continue to memorize the rest of the Hebrew text, what we now call parts of the Old Testament, they would also start learning a family trade on the side. So at 15, you, you kind of were beginning to memorize more, but you also would learn whatever the family did for a business. But then also at 15, the best of the best of the best. We're talking like one in a thousand would continue to study now underneath a rabbi. Like if you were elite, if you were going to be the person qualified to go to the Harvard of that day, you could train under a rabbi, but the rabbi had to accept you. You would go to the rabbi and you would ask to train under a rabbi. And that rabbi would test you to make sure that you had memorized the Torah, make sure that you understood parts of the law, would ask different questions, and would test your intellect. And if you could prove yourself, listen to this, if you had the goods, if you were qualified, then the rabbi would say, I'll accept you as a student. Now, you had to pay money to the rabbi to train underneath the rabbi because that's how the rabbi made a living. And you had to be accepted. And if you didn't get accepted, you know what you would do? You would go full-time into the family business. You were done with your schooling, and now you just worked the family business. If you got accepted, the rabbi would start training you. And the rabbi called you his disciples, his followers, in other words. And each rabbi had a slightly different interpretation of the Old Testament law. And the interpretation was called the rabbi's yoke. Like the yoke was the rabbi's belief system. The way that the rabbi lived. The value system of that rabbi was called his yoke. And as a disciple, you would, quote, wear the yoke of the rabbi. In other words, you would take on the beliefs and you would take on the life of the rabbi that the rabbi was modeling for you. And again, if you were the best of the best, the rabbi might even choose you later on and say, I want you to carry on my yoke. I want you, after I die, I want you to take the yoke that I've given you, the beliefs that you've been trained in, and I now want you to do the exact same thing and to put that yoke on other students. So, if the student had what it took, 
if the student was willing to look at a rabbi and say, I want to be like you, that rabbi would pour his life into that disciple. And literally, history recounts that the disciples would study the rabbi even how the rabbi would walk. No joke. If the rabbi had a certain walk, his disciples would try to mimic and imitate literally his physical walk. That's the kind of relationship there was. And the rabbi would look at his disciples and say, come and follow me. Sound familiar? Back to the story of Jesus. Did you notice that when Jesus called out to these men, they dropped everything and followed Jesus? Why? Well, at this point, most likely, Peter, Andrew, and the rest of these guys had already finished their training at the age of 15. They were now older than 15, and you know what? They didn't make the kickball team. That they had probably asked to study underneath a rabbi and somehow were not qualified. And so what did they do? Matthew writes it. He says they fished for a living, which means that they were now full-time fishermen. They were done with rabbi training. They never were able to qualify to be a rabbi in training. In other words, somebody had an opinion about them, and somebody said, you're not good enough. You are not going to make it. You do not get to be a part of this team. Go do the family business. So Jesus does something pretty unorthodox. Instead, he's the rabbi. Instead of people coming to him and asking, can I be your disciple? He goes out and finds his own disciples. This is so unorthodox. In fact, no rabbi would ever do this in Jesus' day. In fact, he looked for unqualified men who had been rejected by the church of the day, and he said to those men, come and follow me. You see, they didn't have to prove themselves. There was no striving for perfection, no paying Jesus money. Instead, Jesus simply saw who they were, not what they did, and he picked them to be on the team. No wonder they dropped their nets. No wonder they literally looked at their dad and said, hey, dad, I love you. Uh, good luck with the business. I'm going to follow Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Do you hear that? And he even does that in 2020. You see, to prove this, Jesus said this at another time to his disciples. And I think this is so phenomenal. It's in Matthew chapter 11. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. What does that mean? Take my belief upon you. Take my lifestyle upon you. Take my walk upon you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Do you see the difference here with Jesus? He's saying Take on my belief, and it's not about your performance. Take upon my life. In other words, just follow me. Walk like I walk. That's all I want you to do. I'm picking you as my disciple, and I want you to walk the way 
that I walk. You may be unqualified, but Jesus is like, I'm going to qualify you. You know, many of us might hear that and we're like, I don't even know how to walk like Jesus. Well, let me just give a shameless plug here for something that's super important, and that is this. Around here, we, we have a thing called growth track, and it happens every single week, and you can jump in any week, and you go for four weeks, and it teaches you how to live a life where you can begin to grow in faith. Even some of you that might be curious about faith, it would be very beneficial for you to be a part of it. And so if you want to learn more about Growth Track, just go ahead and, and look at the information here in the bottom of the screen and, and reach out because we would love for you to be a part of Growth Track. There have been literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have taken this next step. They've learned and it has helped their relationship with God thrive. So do that, carve out time, get involved with growth track. It will be something that's very beneficial because Jesus doesn't call us to a yoke of religion. In fact, at City First, we're never going to call you to be religious. Instead, we want you to be in a relationship with Jesus. You see, God calls us to have a yoke of forgiveness and grace, to take that on us. Religion says, live right and you'll be accepted. Jesus says, I'll accept you first and teach you how to live right. You hear that? Religion says, be holy and God will allow you to come close. But Jesus says, I invite you first to come close and then I'll help you become holy. It's a totally upside down way of thinking. You gotta understand this. Jesus does it different. He's a different type of leader and rabbi to us. He cares about us, not how we perform or if we're qualified. It's up to him to help us be qualified. It's up to us to follow him and take on his yoke. You know, sometimes I think that we believe Jesus calls us to be Christians. He never called us to be Christians. I know I just woke some of you up right now, but what he really calls us to be is a disciple. And the definition of a disciple is this, a learner, an apprentice, and a follower. It's all Jesus wants. He wants us to be learners, he wants us to, to be apprentices, and he wants us to just follow him. A disciple is someone who asks Jesus, what would you like me to do? How would you like me to respond in this situation? What should my conduct be at work or at home or at school? What are the values, Jesus, that you want me to live by? You see, Jesus says take on my yoke, my belief, my way of living, and on top of that, I will help you be able to live the kind of life that I want you to live. Do you hear that? You see, the rabbis of Jesus' day basically said, prove yourself. But Jesus says, come with me, imitate my walk, and by the way, I'm going to help you do it. This isn't all on you. It is also something that he helps us walk the way that he wants us to walk. Because at our best day, our best day, on my best day, I can't be like Jesus because I have too much carnality inside of me. I have too many temptations. I have too many things that are pulling me in wrong directions. Jesus has to help Jeremy DeWert walk like him. Because without him, 
I walk like Jeremy. You catch what I'm saying here? It's so important to realize that our God comes along and he gives us the strength and the ability and the grace to be more like him. Jesus called ordinary people like you and me to follow him, to have heaven as our home someday, to make a difference for him in this life, to help over time take on his type of life and his type of belief and to become holy. And can I tell you, none of this we deserve or have earned. None of it. Jesus simply states, because I love you and I have chosen you, you are valued. How would we live differently if we really believed that? Let me say that again. How would we live? How would you live differently if you really believed that Jesus loves you and he calls you and he will qualify you? How does that change the way that you live? You see, if we really believe that Jesus' love for us is not dependent on our track record, that our value has already been determined by our creator. No one else can determine our value. That Jesus loves us just the way that we are, but loves us enough to not help us stay that way, but rather to become more like him. That he has a plan for our life and that he chooses us first. Years ago, I went to a church conference on the other side of the world. I went by myself. I was on a scheduled sabbatical and it was a time of just kind of rest and refueling. And I decided to go to this conference because I wanted to be uh, filled up, you could say. And once I got there, I knew, um, I kind of knew, I should say, a couple of people running the conference. I'm, I wasn't BFF with them, but I knew them. And one of them texted me and asked that after the night session, if I'd like to come into the green room and hang out afterwards. And, uh, and the green room, for those of you that may not know what that is, that's usually at any event. Uh, that's where the speakers usually hang out. And, and so I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. And so after the evening service, I, uh, I, I was in this big, you know, convention center, 40,000 people literally were there, and I made my way to this little green room, and I met my friend, and, and uh, they were like, hey, it's good to see you, Jer, come on in, and so I walked into this green room, and my friend looked at me and said, I have some really important pressing things that I have to do right now. Um, I'm sorry, but I have to go take care of them. Just, just hang out here and have fun, and left, and literally, I'm standing there by myself in the middle of the screen room. And I'm looking around and the place is full of very, and I'm gonna use this word, famous people. Like if I were to name the people that were in the room, many of you would recognize the names of these people. You'd be like, oh wow, they were there? Like these are people that were world-renowned speakers. Uh, these were world-famous worship artists. And the place is just packed. I mean, the green room is hopping, and everybody's in their little circles, and they're laughing, and they're talking, and they're yucking it up. And I'm just standing there by the entrance because my friend ditched. And I don't know anybody in the room. I mean, I, I know of these people, but I really don't have any strong friendship with any of them. And so I'm standing there, and I had a kickball moment. I'm asking myself, okay, Whose team am I on right now? Does anybody want to pick me to be on the team? Can I be a part of that circle or that one? 
And I, I remember going over and I grabbed a little plate and put some cheese on it, you know, and I have my little cheese plate and I'm walking around the room by myself. And I mean, the place, again, everybody's just having a great time. And I did a lap around the room to try to see if there was anybody that I really knew. And there wasn't. So I slipped out of the room. And I left the big conference center. And I went and got in a train and went back to my hotel room. And when I got back to my hotel room, there was this little voice inside of my head that kept saying, you didn't belong in that room. That room was for people at another level than where you're at. And I had to stop and think about this a moment. I mean, I'm a grown adult. This isn't the playground anymore. But adults, we have different types of playgrounds, don't we? And we all feel this. I had to stop and think, why did I feel this way? And, and I, I started to think, well, the reason I feel this way is because of recess. People have opinions about your performance. People have opinions about your qualifications. People have opinions about your value. And, and listen, I'm not saying people in that room didn't value me. They just didn't know me. And I had to remember something, that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And every person in that room was unqualified. And if there was any success at all in that room, it was because of Jesus. And I had to remember something. It wasn't that I was unqualified in the sense where nobody liked me or I didn't have any value or, you know, everything that I'd been doing in my life did not amount to much. None of that. It was just people didn't know who I was and I didn't know really who they were. That's it. Can I say this? Every person in the room you're sitting in right now is unqualified. If there's any success, it's because of Jesus. I want to very, very quickly end with a story. We don't have much time left, but I want to tell this story as we close. It's a story that many of you have heard a bunch of times if you grew up in Sunday school. In fact, you even sang songs about this story. It's found in Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. You see, a tax collector in Jesus' day was the most hated person in town. The reason why is because they'd go around and they'd collect taxes from the common people and they would not only collect what was owed, but they would actually demand more money and they would pocket the excess. And because of that, they became very, very, very rich. And so Jesus is walking into the city and there's this crowd following him and Zacchaeus was vertically challenged evidently and he was the chief tax collector, which means he is the chief crook in town. He's the one that's rich off of the town's money. 
He had gotten it through deceitful means. And so he wants to see Jesus. So he climbs up in a tree. A grown man, an affluent man, so desperate to see Jesus, he climbs up in a tree. Think about that. And Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house today. Let's eat and let's talk together. And the people went ballistic. They're like, this man is a notorious crook. Why would Jesus do this? Why? Because Jesus was calling ordinary, unqualified people to follow him, like you and me. You see, here's the truth. The truth is this. If you want life change, if you want life change, you need to climb up above the opinions and the views of those around you to see Jesus. If you want life change, you need to climb up above what social media says about you and how you should live, about what society and culture says about what you think and how you should live, what your family of origin says about you. You must climb above it and get past your past to get past your present, past what your track record says about you and look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus who says you're qualified. You see, you aren't qualified until Jesus qualifies you. But for you to be qualified, you gotta rise above the opinions of others, even your own opinion about yourself, and you have to fix your eyes on Jesus who says you're qualified. In fact, we're gonna to end today, and I'm gonna have you do something wherever you're at, at all of our locations, right in your living room. If you're in your living room, if you're driving in your car right now, I want you to participate. I'm gonna have us on the count of three, I'm gonna have us say, I'm qualified. Now I know some of you are like going, well this is very strange. Well this is the reason why. Some of you have been listening this whole time and you're agreeing with me in your mind, but you don't have it in your heart yet. That you don't think you're qualified. You still think you're less than. You still think that the decisions of your past has disqualified you. But rather instead, we need to understand that Jesus qualifies us. And so we're gonna have a faith statement today. We're gonna shout out loud. Loud, we're gonna say, I'm qualified. I'm qualified. I'm qualified. And we realize this. We're not qualified in our own talents. We're not qualified in our own performance or our own track record. We're qualified because we choose to get above the opinions of this world and everyone else around us and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who says we're qualified. So let's do this. On the count of three, you ready, City First, everybody? Okay, on the count of three, I want you to say, I'm qualified. Ready? One, two, three. Now listen, that was good, but some of you at home, you didn't do it because you feel a little silly right now. I want you to say it, even if you have to whisper it, all right? Get it in your spirit. You ready? One, two, three. I'm qualified. Come on. One, two, three. I'm qualified. One, two, three. I'm qualified. Do you understand that Jesus searches after you? The God who finds you in the midst of your circumstances and says, you're qualified. Because Jesus says, I will qualify you. Jesus is for the unqualified. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And today, you're called. 
You're called to be in a relationship with Jesus. You're called to continue to have a life that thrives in Jesus. You're called to make a difference for Jesus. And I know some of you are like going, oh, that's not me. Again, you need to get it in your heart. I'm qualified. Jesus not only wants to have a relationship with you, he wants to use you for his kingdom work. He wants you to make a difference with your life. Why? Because he's the one that qualifies you to do it. So let me pray for you. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes at all locations or right now, wherever you are watching online. And if you just say, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to just quickly say a prayer. If you want to make him the leader and the forgiver of your life, and I just want you to say this prayer right where you're at. Jesus knows everything about you. He, he knows all the past, the present, and he has a bright future for you. But if you say, I need to just ask for forgiveness of all I've done wrong, I want to drop everything and follow Jesus. If that's you, will you repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Thank you for your unconditional love. I want to follow you. Thank you for choosing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, that was the most important prayer you've ever prayed. And if you already know Jesus as your leader and forgiver, that you're already a follower of Jesus, I pray that today you understand something. You understand that it is not you, your talents, your performance that qualifies you. Instead, it is the Savior who loves you and calls you that qualifies you to do what you could never do on your own. So remember this, you're qualified. Love you, City First. We'll see you next week.